Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99 at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I look back at the A&E Ultimate Warrior bio. How we felt about the show and how we feel about Ultimate Warrior coming out of the show. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. First of all, what did you think of the bio? Um, A lot of people on social media. I would have to think. I don't know the final numbers. I would have to think that Sunday's A&E biography was the biggest numbers that they've had so far since working with the WWE. I think the Ultimate Warriors was the most highly anticipated of of all the episodes so far. It you think it did bigger numbers than the first one? What was the first one that they did again? Stone Cold. Okay, so Stone Cold did about 1.2 million viewers. Yes. Did the rate did the rating come out on Ultimate Warrior yet? Warrior yet? I don't think so. Ed's taking a look, but if it's if it's not higher than Stone Cold with the anticipation involved, I would have to think it was close to Stone Cold numbers. I um, <clears throat> I didn't mind it at all. I understand you, you put this in pretty good perspective for me with the Randy Savage A uh, and E special. How everything else seemed like a bit of fluff, where Savage seemed like a hit piece. I try to go on what I'm seeing and what I'm listening to at the moment Mm -hmm. and really uh, see how that affects me emotionally. Just like I talk about pro wrestling and how we affect people emotionally. I I, I always like to analyze what's the first thing that comes to mind or what's the first emotion that I feel. And there's, it's almost like the tale of two people, at least in my eyes, the family man and the pro wrestler. And I, I forget that old saying, like, you know, the, the way you can, tr- you know, the measure of a man can be seen, you know, in his family. Or I, I forget the old saying. But, man, his wife and daughters truly loved him. And he seemed like a really nice family man. Or at least that's the, the spin that A&E put on it. And now, of course, his wife and daughters are going to speak very highly of him, but he seemed like a, 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 
a, a great husband, a nice dad. Seemed like he had a beautiful family. And then we see him in the wrestling business, which, as I was talking about earlier, is a, is a very dirty business at times, Dave. And it was a lot dirtier back then. Considerably dirtier back then. With all the cutthroat and knives, knives in the back. I've never held a grudge or an, an, or an animosity towards anybody in this industry who I might not have seen eye to eye with. Because I believe the wrestling business changes people. I believe the wrestling industry can take good people and turn them into not so good people at times. It's the nature of this beast. It kind of comes with the territory. So I really don't hold a grudge against anybody. I think the wrestling business kind of ate up the Ultimate Warrior and kind of spit him out at times. But I also think he was in his own head. You know, Vince kind of alludes to in the documentary that he, he started to forget what this was. You know, this is where this term work and shoot comes in. Mm-hmm. Don't work yourself into a shoot, brother. At the end of the day, we have to realize that, especially in the WWE, these are characters to, are created to be larger than life on screen personalities. One side of the pencil makes you the world heavyweight champion and a millionaire. And a split second later, you turn that pencil upside down and you're on food stamps and an absolute nobody. Meaning it's easy to do whatever you want with a pencil in pro wrestling. That's why it's called the power of the pencil. I can write your name down on a piece of paper and write the name world champion right next to that. And boom, you're the world champion. Why? Because that's what we wrote for you. You didn't really go out there and pin somebody to become the world champion. You were pushed like that. And then one day, if we don't want you to be the world champion anymore, we just erase your name. And sometimes guys forget that. And I did get the I did get a little bit of that from that documentary last night that he kind of forgot it. Mm-hmm. And when they showed the outtakes from him doing his his promos backstage, he was always in character so hard when the camera was on that he seemed exhausted when the camera was off. It never looked like he had any fun with it. At least that's what I took away from it. I think there was a tremendous amount of pressure. I think living in the shadow of a Hulk Hogan. I had a question for you. Sure. Do you believe that there was more pressure on Hulk performing with Andre at WrestleMania 3 or Warrior performing with Hulk at WrestleMania, what was it, 7 or 8? It was, to me, it was more pressure on the Ultimate Warrior. Working with Hogan. Why? Because I feel that, and and people argue with me, and and I, and bully. I think you have in the past. I think Hogan was already there. Like I understand that this was a bit of a different plateau because of Andre, but Hogan was the guy already. 
Hogan was the number one draw for the WWF when he stepped into the ring against Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. It wasn't Andre. Not at that time. I'm sorry. It was Hogan. So Hogan was already the number one box office draw for the WWF. I don't think that was the case when Ultimate Warrior stepped into the ring with Hulk Hogan. Fair point. Hogan was the guy. They just needed yep. somebody to get him to the next level. Hogan was a uh, was a star. They just needed him to become a superstar. Yes. Also, yep. the pressure was on Warrior because he had to go 20 minutes with Hogan. Even though Hulk didn't, you know, up until that point wasn't, go, you know, having long, long matches or his long matches consisted of him selling most of the time. And, and by the way, when it comes to selling young wrestlers, if Hulk Hogan can sell the entire match, so can you. Learn from him. He's pretty freaking smart. Dusty Rhodes, sell. Hulk Hogan, sell. Anybody, any good baby face worth his weight in this business, sells. Anyway, they had to go 20 minutes. How long did that match last, Dave? You have, you know, you, I'm going you back. To remember, I'm ju- I'm just going back because I believe that was WrestleMania six. So let me just check. It went, whoo, almost twenty five minutes. There you go. So Warrior, I don't think Warrior had ever been in that, you know, no, that area of a match before. Most no of way. the time, in him, he was like he was like a Ramon song, you know, three minutes in, on, off, out. So I'm sure that there was, he had a lot of pressure on himself. From the company. And I guess winning that championship was the the highest of the highs for him. And then on the back end of that, it started to become the lowest of the lows. Yes. I didn't know the guy personally. I had never met the guy. Uh, I only know the stories that I've heard. And it seems like there's been a lot of negative stories. Mm -hmm. But I kind of look. I like to go by what I heard from his wife and children and believe that he was a, a good man who was jaded and soured by the wrestling industry. Because I've seen that happen to enough guys. And in the time that the Ultimate Warrior was around, there was a lot of politicking and a lot of just cutthroat things going on. That stuff really doesn't go on in the industry today. We're, or it's not nearly as rampant. So, I mean, what did you think of the whole piece? You I normally mean, see I, these things in a much different point of view than I do. I um, First, let me say this, because anybody that uh, has listened to this show going back to the Doug Mortman years, um, I, was never, I was never a big fan of The Ultimate Warrior. Um, as a matter of fact, and we did shows on this bully back in the day, when it was announced that he was going into the Hall of Fame before WrestleMania 30, I came on the air and I said, I didn't think he was deserving of being in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, and as a person, and again, I'm like you, I've never met him. I never interviewed. I never sat down with him. But you hear the stories. And obviously, even in the biography on Sunday, some of the, when he did that college tour, some of the racist comments and comments he made about, about homosexuals, obviously, you know, this is a guy that's mind was not right. And he, he, he felt that he had to share those, those beliefs and was confrontational with people that didn't uh, think the same way that he did. I always go back, and it's hard for me to get over, Bully, 
the comments he made about Bobby Heenan when Bobby Heenan was was stricken with cancer. Um, he said some really bad things about Bobby Heenan while he was suffering from cancer. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I I can't get past that. You know, it's it's very very. Somebody is suffering and dying from cancer, and I'm not even re going to repeat the things that he said about Bobby Heenan. Why? Because he didn't think you were a great technical wrestler. Because the things that he said on the DVD, you're actually going to curse somebody who's 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 suffering through cancer, really. And he talked about how karma was biting him in the ass. You know what? Bobby Heenan outlived Ultimate Warrior. So ultimately, God was the last one who had, uh, who, you know, who made the final decision on that. So as a human being, and I understand his, his wife and his kids, and you know what? They saw a different man than obviously the ones that we saw on TV or heard about and things about of that nature. So for that, I feel bad for his wife. I feel bad for his kids because a wife losing her husband um, at such a young age and his daughter's losing a father at such, such a young age, that's horrible. But I can never publicly forgive those things that the old that 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 this man said about about races, about homosexuals, and about a man dying of cancer. To the slurs that were used at the University of Connecticut, um, I, I totally understand that. Absolutely uncalled for. There, there's no way to get around that. With the Bobby Heenan stuff. This bit sometimes this business turns people into monsters. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the relationship was with Bobby Heenan and the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, we don't know if you know Bobby Heenan could have made life miserable for Warrior back in the day. Whatever it was, we didn't walk in their shoes. True, I could understand. I could understand how on the surface you just hearing. Those, you know, those comments from Warrior about Heenan would be appalling. But we don't know what went on back in the day. Maybe Bobby Heenan, and listen, I loved Bobby Heenan. Me and Devon and Bobby Heenan got along so well. It's one of those veterans in the business that I thank God that I got to form a friendship with. But back in those days, maybe Bobby Heenan made life miserable for the ultimate Warrior. And, and the ultimate warrior could not find any love or sympathy in his heart for Bobby Heenan, despite the fact that he was dying of cancer. Um, and, and, and that's true. And, and there are stories. Bret Hart, in his book, talks about the Make-A-Wish child uh, that wanted to meet Ultimate Warrior, and Ultimate Warrior refused. And everybody in that WWF locker room felt so bad for this kid that every single wrestler that was mm -hmm. a part of that show that night, went out and met with the kid. The kid still wanted to meet the Ultimate Warrior, and Ultimate Warrior refused. You saw the video of uh, an apology Vince McMahon made, you know, made him make on videotape for another child at an airport that he screamed at when that child went up and asked for an autograph. Um, I mean, there's countless stories and things like that, but the one thing that kind of bothered way, me... Go ahead. The way Warrior came off in that segment to me was... Like, I felt that that man believed in his convictions that he did nothing wrong that day. Okay, and, and you know what? But those beliefs that he had, 
seemed to carry all the way through his Hall of Fame speech. Like, I remember him calling out Ted DiBiase because Ted DiBiase must have been somebody else that back in the Mid-South days that gave him a hard time. Listen, there's a long laundry list of wrestlers and personalities that had a problem with the Ultimate Warrior. Um, that bio on Sunday, and I love both these guys. Sam Rob- A lot of Sam Roberts and Peter Rosenberg in that bio on A&E because it seems to be that there wasn't a lot of wrestlers, I guess, that wanted to be a part of that show. On you know, And the two wrestling personalities were Vince Russo, who started wrestling, started um, writing for the WWF magazine in 92, once that reign of Ultimate Warrior was over, and, you know, and Paul Heyman. So not a lot of contemporaries uh, to the Ultimate Warrior uh, on that show. But to the point is, and they had the interview, somebody was interviewing him in, in the car on the way uh, to the Hall of Fame. And the guy asked him, boy, a lot of animosity, a lot of anger that is finally getting put to rest now that you're going into the Hall of Fame. And Ultimate Warrior never said, yeah, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, a lot of, he went right to that DVD, right to the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. Boy, they hurt me. They said some nasty things about me. But you know what? I'm I'm moving on from that. What about but where's maybe the Apollo? He did not feel yeah. what? Maybe he didn't feel that way, Dave. Now we're now we're questioning somebody's feelings. It's like when people say to you, "You shouldn't feel that way." And what's the ultimate response? Don't tell me how to feel. You don't know how your words or your actions made me feel in that moment. So we didn't know how the ultimate warrior felt in that moment or 10 years later about that DVD. And he was probably still harboring hate, resentment, animosity, and maybe was never able to get past it. He might have only been able to get past it after he saw Vince and that hug with Vince. We talk about the father figure, the lack of a father figure, Vince being that sort of father figure. By the way, I love it when Vince said on the D, on on the A and E special, he said he was asked, "Did you consider Ultimate Warrior a son?" He goes, "No, I only have one son." Yeah, yep. it really felt good for Shane McMahon in that moment. Really did. Um. So maybe Warrior was walking around for years and years with knots in his stomach about it. We don't know how the man felt. Maybe he couldn't let it go. Maybe he couldn't forgive and forget in that moment. But bully, I mean, if, he if, would have if, to if, realize if there is, but he'd have to realize that those feelings from a lot of different people during that that run with the WWF that there he had some blame. He had to have some blame about some of the, the way things happened. I mean, right I, away, I'm blaming sure Vince I, McMahon for that letter. Well, Vince McMahon wrote that letter for a reason. I, yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not defending any of, of this. When you're in the midst of the wrestling business, there are so many things going on at so many different moments. Dave, back then, the industry was so cutthroat, you walked on eggshells every minute of the day. Think about how often they were on the road. Think about the, 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 the guys in the locker room that were always out to get the guys at the top spot. That's why I understand how Hulk was always so protective of his spot. I get it now. 
Because everybody was out to get you. So if Warrior was a different type of thinker who had his own emotional baggage, getting pushed to the moon, being on the road away from your family, maybe it just didn't gel well with him. And only wrestlers who have been involved in this industry during that time period can talk to the rigors, to the mental rigors of what went on then. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the boys were, were affected mentally. And I think it turned them into, I don't want to say bad people, but maybe not the genuine people that they weren't once were. I can't even really speak to it. I was the tail end of that cutthroat era. Mm -hmm. I was the tail end of guys that would go out of their way to really screw your life up, make you look bad, try to get your spot. So... I'm only going off of what I saw on the show last night. That's why I wanted to preface, you know, what I said with this, this business sometimes can fuck with you mentally in ways that you'll never understand unless you're involved in it. And then I saw the family, man. Every time Dana Warrior went to go speak about him, I thought she was going to break down in tears. Yes, the th- some, of the, some of the things that he said at the university, all of the things that he said at the University of Connecticut, absolutely 100% wrong and uncalled for. The Bobby Heenan stuff, we don't know what Bobby did to him. The, the Bobby Heenan that I know, I would venture to say, didn't do anything to him, but that's not the Bobby Heenan that worked back in the WWE back in the day. You're talking about some of the most carny worker workers you've ever met in your life. Forks to the left and knives in the back. And I'm sure everybody was gunning for Warrior. Especially if they didn't think he paid his dues. And 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 Vince Russo and Paul Heyman talked about that even though they weren't in the locker room at that time. I mean, they did speak of what that must have been like for him. And you know what? I mean, you know this, Bully, as big as Hogan was, for for Ultimate Warrior to beat Hogan clean, that's, that's, I mean, you talk about just handing somebody that golden chalice. I mean, has anyone in the world of pro wrestling been given an opportunity like the Ultimate Warrior did at that time? Why wouldn't you beat him clean at WrestleMania? If you don't beat him clean, you can't be handed the golden chalice chalice unscathed. You can't have a screw job finish when when a mega baby face beats another mega baby face. It's got to be clean in the middle. And it was. And Hogan and Hogan kicked on three and a half. He did kick at three and a but it was three and a half. So all I'm saying is that ultimate war. Did Andre kick at three and a half? That was clean. Also, I 
disagree with Hogan about all eyes being on Hogan when Ultimate Warrior was holding that title in the middle of the ring. That's kind of interesting because that uh, I think I'm going to do a little uh, a little investigating on that comment because Hulk is a master at protecting himself. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was a little high. I wonder if Hulk was very adamant about going into the match about not thinking Warrior was the right guy at the right time. But I got to tell you, if Warrior wasn't the right guy at the right time, who was? Who would have been? No. Uh, Ultimate Warrior was was the guy. I mean, a lot. Ha- Think about that. Here is the Ultimate Warrior beating Hulk Hogan in front of what seventy thousand fans at the Sky Dome at WrestleMania, and his debut with the free as a freedom fighter in Memphis was five years earlier. Think about that. So in five years, he makes his debut as a professional wrestler. Five years later, he's beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania in front of 70,000 fans. And when you get that much that quick, it's hard for your head not to explode. That's why I say if you're not brought up in the business the correct way, it will Mm -hmm. screw with you mentally. You start to believe your own hype. You start to believe that you really are the ultimate warrior and the world heavyweight champion. And I, because you actually beat Hulk Hogan with a body splash. That's why I understand the argument of pro wrestling. Is it a sport or is it an art form or is it a performance art? What I know of sport is one guy trying to go out there and beat the other guy. Heads up. Mono a mono. You want to say politicking in pro wrestling is a sport? I'm on board with that because that's a sport. But in the ring? If you want to say that I'm trying to outperform my competitor, okay, Sure, we're in competition trying to outperform one another. But there's no sport in the finish. There's no sport in the outcome. Do you think a different Rick Flair Do you think Rick Flair was correct when he said that Ultimate Warrior was a flash in the pan? Cuz if you look at it, man, it was it really was like a blink of an eye. Yeah, of course it was. Here today, gone tomorrow. Listen, Ric Flair says he was a flash in the pan, and you said he didn't belong in the uh, belong in the Hall of Fame. And, You're kind of saying the same thing. And and bully, when I made that statement before WrestleMania 30, when Doug and I did that show, I I think. of the people that called in on that show thought I was absolutely crazy. Dave, there's plenty of people who don't belong in the WWE Hall of Fame. True. We can agree on that, right? Yes. Yes. The Hall of Fame is... is Monday Night Raw, is SmackDown, is a pay-per-view. It's a show. Just like any other show that falls under the WWE umbrella. 
and yes, now they're going to create a Hall of Fame and everything like that, but how, who determines who goes into the Hall of Fame and why? I mean, Vince McMahon. I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my Hall of Fame picture right now on the wall. Here, I'm going to go left to right. Hillbilly Jim, Hall of Famer? No. Dudley's, Hall of Famers? Yes. Mark Henry, Hall of Famer? Yes. Jeff Jarrett, Hall of Famer? Yes. Goldberg, Hall of Famer? Yes. Fair enough. There you go. Would you agree, would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I agree on everybody. I think a conversation can be had about Jeff. I think there's a con. Yes, I think there's a conversation. You look at, and you're gonna have to really factor in the things outside of the WWE in order to make him a Hall of Famer. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes, absolutely. But listen, uh, like the name I always go back to, and I enjoyed him as a kid growing up tremendously. Coco Beware, Coco Beware, a Hall of Famer? No. On what ground? Well, the Hall of That's the thing. Like, what's the what's the, you know what's the criteria to be a Hall of Famer? Do you ever you ever see um you ever see like a uh, what what are those things? It, it's not gambling. It says for entertainment purposes only. It's not like a real gambling and maybe a scratch off game. On the bottom, it said for entertainment purposes only. Uh huh. That's what the that's what the Hall of Fame is. It's for entertainment purpose. I know, but if you want me to buy in, I have to look at Dave, it. Dave, I don't bit wear my Hall of Fame ring. There's a lot of guys who wear it. Okay. It that that's fine. I'm I'm proud to have to be to have been inducted. I look at the Hall of Fame a much different way. The reason I'm proud to be a two-time Hall of Famer is because me and Devon were never supposed to make it. Never. You go look at what we started out as and what we turned into. There was, there was never, we were never chosen. We were never handed anything. Nobody ever had plans in mind for me and Devon. We made people have plans for us. We forced people to have plans for us. I'm not yes. making this about me. I'm saying that's why I'm proud to be in the Hall of Fame. Who gives a shit about 24 championships or this or that? Bullshit. Who cares? Well, I mean, I think I'm that means something. Because we were they, able to do it. Because the I'm company believed we in you enough to give to you those it. titles. Like, especially when those Correct. those titles sure. meant something. Absolutely. I'm proud that we were able to make it on our terms out of a company that people never wanted to give the proper credit to. And that's why I was adamant about saying that at the Hall of Fame. That we're the first EC, original ECW creation to go in. That's what I was proud of. Because of how I felt about the company that I had come from. To me, that was shattering a glass ceiling. I was adamant about having the Hardys and Edge and Christian up there with us because I wanted to show the world that Dave, do you ever remember anybody else ever being inducted into the Hall of Fame, bringing anybody else on stage with them? No. Exactly. 
I didn't want, me and Devon never wanted to make it all about ourselves. What we were showing everybody in that moment was nobody gets to the top on their own. You always need somebody. And we felt that we wanted to give these other guys an opportunity to be seen with us. These are our equals. We all did this together. If you were to in- induct all six of us at the same time, I would have been just as happy as me and Devon getting inducted on our own. That's how strongly we felt about it. That's why I say everybody needs somebody. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. Busted Open is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Ed Robinson. The associate producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the legendary Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.